<laughs> a future where uh, my sight will be made well. That's amazing uh, to think about as I decline a little bit. But it's interesting. Um, this book, I realize and acknowledge, comes in the midst of a lot of complicated things in your life, in the Nunn family life, uh, Jeff, Don Marie. All of us have kind of these uh, deeper sorrows that we're carrying. I think most of us, and I just see this in kids today, perhaps, but um, I think all of us have a hard time holding both sorrow and joy. In other words, it's all sorrow, that's all our life is, uh, without joy, or it's all joy and happiness. And by joy, we mean kind of being happy or lifted up or great spirits. And we need, we, we're in one or the other. And if we're down here, we're trying to get up here. And if we're up here, we're trying to stay there. Um, one day, that will be the case all the time. This kind of it, uh, perpetual, perpetual joy, perpetual peace, rest, right? You get to experience that right now. You get to experience that right now because God, by his, in his generosity, gives us his spirit to dwell among us, so you experience his peace now. Uh, but it's not yet as well. So we're going to take a look at future realities. Future realities. And not to sugarcoat all the hardness and sorrow that you feel, but um, John knew what he was doing. Well, the Holy Spirit did as he gave this word to John and lifted him up into having these visions, which Revelation, if you have a chance to sit through it and read it uh, in a few hours... It, it, it is like eye-popping, fantastical. And we've known that from the preaching that has come from here uh, about Revelation, but it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. And so I love diving into 22, 21, and 22. And the question I have for you before we read this text is, is this. What, how do you envision the future? Let's think for a moment. What does your future look like? Most of us probably rarely think about the future because we have the task before us, and, and if you have kids, right, it's difficult to take the unhurried moments. Or if you're you know, worried about XYZ, your job, uh, putting bread on the table, and so on, it's hard to think about the future. But here's a moment where you get to think about it, and God gets to bring what he, what he says the future will be, he's bringing to bear in your life this morning, and I hope it serves as an encouragement to you. So consider that as we pray, and then we'll read. Father, thank you for this scripture. I pray that you would, um, even in the reading, make this real, bring it to bear, lift up our heads, whatever is needed this morning, if we feel contented and at rest, I pray that our imaginations will be increased with this view of a future that so compels us that it, it encourages us to live uh, lives that make sense of the future. <laughs> that we roll from heaven backwards. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Revelation 22, and I'm going to start in verse 20, uh, 21 and 22, just to give us a little context, 21 and 22 are to be held together, 
of this future heaven. I only have a limited space and time to work on this. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but uh, what I have is, is enough for this morning. And so Revelation 21, 22, listen as I read. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. So a lot of uh, amazing things here, but also things that John... You'll, you might recall from all the sermons that have been preached so far, is trying to grab at language to explain that which he sees as he's been taken up and he gets this view behind the curtains of, of that which is going on behind the world. Certainly that which is going on in the world, but if you were to just take it and open up the curtains and see all these fantastic things, you would be, let's just say you would be crushed <laughs> by the weight of it all. To be able to, so there is kind of a graciousness right now as this battle is playing out, even in the invisible world, in the invisible realm. And if you are someone who is working on faith with God and wondering if he's real, well, wow. If there is a supernatural, if there is God, then this book is another reason why I believe, why it's compelling, because of how amazing and fantastical things are. Uh, but it's also that John is now expanding our vision of the future. Um, this is the end of the book. And he, and at the end of the book, he kind of goes back to where he started, with God on the throne, right? He's the Alpha and Omega. And so I have to say, look, he is the God who is sovereign over all, despite circumstances. He's sovereign over past. He's a sovereign of your present and of the future. And you can't understand him in only one of those spaces. He's the one who forgives me for the past. Or he's the one who forgives me for the past and the present, but I don't know about the future. Like, he's all-encompassing. And I thought about this because we have to carry both sorrow and joy together. And the other day, I, was, I had a vision 
Um, and this, this vision kind of helps me get into this passage just to think what's in store for us. But my vision, it's not of the Bible kind. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you something predictive. Uh, however, I was talking with my counselor, who I see about uh, twice a month. And the vision was uh, of the moment that my daughter, Amelia, uh, lost her ability to breathe. And she was in the intensive care unit after surgery. And this was about four years ago. Uh, many of you are familiar with that story. She had chronic illness. She ended up passing away. But um, those would be the last, when I was watching this in the intensive care unit, those were the last breaths that she took. She would die a week later after that. I was the only one in my family there. And I was the one least capable of doing anything medical. And so there I am, and I'm scared. And I'm not a person who shirks away from danger. Um, I feel more comfortable being in the middle of danger because then I, I can see what's going on. Not to say that I'm helpful, but I, I do like it. And so, but, but here I'm scared. And I start just backing away, out of the way, like I'm invisible. And I let these medical professionals try to revive her. I think that was the moment that the light started to go dark for me. When hope and daylight turned to night. You know, up to that point, I had fought and struggled for faith, for hope. Um, sometimes good, sometimes not. But here, it felt like in that room I was behind a double-pane window. And as the breath went out of Amelia, so the breath went out of me. Now, here's the thing. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here today, right? A lot of time has gone by since that day. Four years, and a lot has happened between then and now. But I'm here today holding on to hope, experiencing peace. And I think part of it is because of scriptures like this. Revelation 21 and 22, they've become to me these vital passages that have helped me hold faith together. They make sense of the world, really, right? All that's going on, they make sense of the world. If you're not a Christian, I just want you to hang with me through the sermon. It's going to sound like a lot of church language. But if you're not and you're considering, consider if this story makes sense of your story. Right? Because I think these words, they're not just giving a silver lining or sugarcoating reality, but they're describing a more glorious reality, a more true reality. Right, so you're, you might be here this morning, and you're seeing nothing but grayscale in the world, motivation, your energy is waning, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you're slogging along. Maybe you're experiencing some key conflict in family relationships that never seem to approve. It's the anniversary of the death of Jordan Nunn. Man, and I was thinking about this, and the, those who were closest to him, his family, I can only imagine. I miss his wit, his presence, his ability to see you and not judge you. It's a missing piece, and this place is holding that sorrow uh, this morning can't express. There's no words that express that loss. And Jeff, as well. Donald Reed. You know, I think that all of us here, 
whether you're having a great week or not, are asking a deeper question. You're asking a question at a deeper level in your life. It's this question that a pastor put in uh, several years ago. And he said this. We're all asking this. Is there life beyond this life? Is there life beyond the grave where sin and sorrow and sickness are no more? Where all that is broken is mended? Is there that kind of life? Revelation 22, 1 through 5 answers that with a positive, right? Absolutely there is. But we've got to do some work to get there, to see what that kind of life looks like. So there are three aspects to this future reality that I've seen, this more glorious reality. Now, the first one is that this future reality is life-sustaining. Just think of that for a moment. It's life-sustaining. Verses 1 through 3, if you look there with me, in chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The leaves of the trees were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. It's life-sustaining. This life-sustaining activity in the new heaven and new earth is first spiritual in nature. And that's when you see that word accursed. You know that isn't just the, the common language of the day. That's going to be something in the Old Testament. Um, that is something that we don't always use. I mean, we do when, you know, when my kids are cursing at one another, right? <laughs> curse you. Uh, they can't say curse words in our house. They probably say it outside of our house, sorry, Miles, but curse you, right? But really, this is a term in the Old Testament. It should take us back to the first garden. Now, just a, a moment here. This new place is, is, is putting this first garden. It, it is actually way astronomically better and more impressive than the first garden. Just know that. So it's not like we're returning to the first garden. You can't return to the first garden. What do we see in the first garden? We see man and woman, these first representatives, our representatives, they have this chance to stay on in this state of perfection. If what? If they follow God's voice. If they stay in the light. And they choose to reject evil. Right? The wrong decision. Satan's voice. They choose darkness, however. And instead of light, they get the curse of death and judgment. And that death and judgment hangs over them. And it also hangs over us as well. All things are accursed in that sense. But here, not in heaven. Not in new heaven and new earth. Right? Why not? The Lamb is there. What does that tell us? We're already celebrating Easter in these passages. Right? The Lamb is there in the new heavens and new earth. The Lamb is the one who came to do something about sin, death, and the devil. At Easter, we celebrate God's triumph over these things as he sends his own son to take on the curse so we don't have to be a curse. There is no curse in the new heaven and new earth. Life is sustaining. Life is sustaining and it's spiritual in nature first, but second, it's not only spiritual. It's also physical. 
We see that in how God uses creation. Did you notice that? The waters are life-giving. They bring life. The trees bring healing. Creation functions as it should. There's this amazing passage in Ezekiel 37, if you're up for a fun time. But Ezekiel 37, honestly, this is a great passage about these fresh waters. Ezekiel's imagining the future. John picks that vision up here and makes it way better. But back there, Ezekiel's talking about these creatures and that, that, that their waters never spoil. It's, it's perpetuating, it's sustaining even the creatures and the earth itself. And I love that idea. That Christianity teaches us that yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you need to be spiritually made clean. But it includes everything that's physical as well. The whole earth and creation is groaning with the pangs of death. And death will be no more. Amen. And he brings mental well-being, right? So healing is a part of Jesus' connection to people. It's a part of a central aspect of his kingdom ministry is healing. That he would show people that he is from heaven, that he is God on earth, by how he heals people physically. And so we see him healing all kinds of sick folks and physically broken and mentally disturbed. We see that kind of healing today, honestly. Probably not as much as this time because this was a specific time where he was proving himself to be God on earth, where heaven was breaking in in those particular moments. But it still happens because the Spirit's still at work. But, but healing was a part of Jesus' ministry. And I love how it's not just that your sins are forgiven, but what does he do after he gives his big sermon on the mount, which takes forever to read through and understand. But he comes down from that place. He's sitting, by the way, when he's teaching, and he comes down, and the first thing he does is he touches the leper, and the leper's healed, physical. Right? He goes on and he takes creation, he takes this dirt and spits in it, which in the, in the COVID-19, we shouldn't do that, right? <laughs> Dr. Martin. Uh, but he does it. But he's clean, right? He's perfect. So he takes it, makes mud, and he puts it in the eyes, and they're healed after a couple of times. It's both spiritual and physical, and finally, this life-sustaining activity, it never ends. It never ends. It's flowing from the throne of the eternal God and of the Lamb. That life will be sustained in this more glorious future. Think about what that means. That nothing accursed or unclean will continue on in the new heaven and the new earth. That you'll have perpetual energy to do things. I think of this pandemic and it's brought about a lot of things. One of those things is just my... Uh, cynicism <laughs> and snarkiness. Uh, but the other thing is resiliency. You know, we're here today, this amount of people in this room, uh, socially distanced to some degree, um, uh, but we're here. You know, you're present. You showed up. Not just here, but showing up to work, or showing up in your house, showing up. We, we're resilient. But it's also been a slog to get through this pandemic. It's been a slog. Imagine a future where there is no slog. 
where you have a constant connection and energy from the source of all life and light. Think about having your bodies healed. If you're young, you probably don't feel like you need your body healed. Someday you will. Your body's healed. They'll be doing amazing things. I think about my friends in, in middle school and high school. Yes, I have friends. Um, and, and Isaac is a pastor here uh, with middle school and high school, and also Adam. Um, I was talking to my nephew the other day. You know, this is the generation that needs the most connection, and they don't get it, and that's really sad to me. Secondly, they're also a generation who's never known a day without internet. Always connected in some way, uh, te technologically. I don't need to tell you all this. This is not a lecture, by the way. Uh, but but the, here's, the thought is, I was like, man, if you're always plugged in, do you have any room just to know what your own thoughts are and, and just to hear those things? And I asked my nephew. I was like, hey, have you ever experienced just taking like 30 minutes, 10 minutes to 30 minutes of silence? He's like, no way. I would never do that. I'm like, you'd never do that? You always have something going. He's like, absolutely. And I was like, why? And he said, because if I take that silence, I'm going to hear my own thoughts. And I don't want to deal with dark thoughts. I think it's not just our teenagers that feel that way. It's you. It's me. It's the older generation. It's my generation. We have a hard time sitting with those thoughts. Because we know they're not a normal part of the world. They're not, the, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Those thoughts are not supposed to be a part of our lives. And one day, all of that, the new heavens and new earth, will exclude all those dark thoughts. The betrayal, the violence, the soul-crushing cruelty of high school will be no more. <laughs> Don't you want that kind of world now? Yes. We get to make it happen. We get to make it happen, but not yet. We gotta see more things in here. This future place will be life-sustaining. It'll also be life-enhancing. And that comes to us in verse one and verse five. And it's how creation is described. It's how things are described. See the water, it brings life, it's life-giving. That's probably symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but he uses creation for a purpose. And that is to say, creation has these healing properties too. Now, the water of life, it's bright as crystal flowing through the middle of a street, which in chapter 21 was described as pure gold. Right? These trees here have 12 kinds of fruit, which is likely a description of the 12 tribes of Israel and also 12 apostles, so as to say that this new reality will touch every spot of this whole earth. It'll be perfect. But there's 12 kinds of fruit still. Everything that's touched by God is enhanced. And I think this is how... Christ's followers, people who identify as Christians, ought to have been as well. We ought to be now. Right? Salt and light. Saltiness. That we enhance everything that we're around. And that is going to be the future reality all the time. Now, I don't know if water will look a little bit like crystal. <laughs> I don't know if the streets will be paved with gold. I don't know. 
But I think John's trying to get us to think outside of the box, to increase our imagination. If your version of the new world includes a room, a living room with Netflix and popcorn and comfy pants, that's awesome right now. But that ain't going to last. That ain't going to compel you for very long. You need to get and, and re renew your vision of the new heaven and new earth and think about what it will mean to have God fully present in the world as he promises to be in the future. His glory will enhance everything around it. All creation and people will radiate beauty and light and God and the Lamb is this perpetual source. Think about how this affects culture. A future place will include all kinds of culture. Diverse people bringing in their splendor with a unified mission and, and their hearts being unified because they're centered on the king. But that is an amazing world. We're not so divided and segregated on a Sunday morning. The cultures are coming in. It's not just one culture who will experience abundant life, it's the nations. Revelation 21, 26. Think about whatever you do now, how this relates to your work or your hobbies. Right? Whatever you do now, whatever you create or build or innovate, those things will be transformed and in fact astronomically more impressive. Right? The things that you do that create beauty in this world, the things of your hand, even the smallest tasks, God will use in the new heavens and new earth. They'll continue on in some way. And I can't grasp all of what that means, but it does mean this, that everything you do matters. Even if people don't see it or acknowledge it, it matters. It matters to me. More importantly, it matters to God. He sees and knows that he's going to take those things and transform that in the new heavens and new earth. And God's glory enhances everything. There's no need for solar power anymore. Right? The trees are growing, and there's no sun and moon. And I don't know if that literally means there will be no sun and moon, but apparently the trees don't need it because God's glory enhances everything. You'll have 12 vintages of wine that we won't abuse in the new heavens and new earth. 12 vintages from these fruit trees. Future new heavens and new earth will be life-sustaining, life-enhancing. And finally, I think we have to see one more idea in this verse about the future place. I think that knowing this will empower you not only to enjoy the splendor of this new world when it comes, but knowing this can change how you view your life now and will give you the courage to step forward, press in, press on in this life. And that is to say that this future reality, what God offers to you now, is a life-changing experience. It'll be life-changing in the new future, in the new world, new heaven, new earth. But you can experience that relational, um, that relational change now and you're connecting with God of heaven. And I see that in verse 4. I see that in verse 4. They 
will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. So the question at the beginning that we were asking was this. Is there life beyond the grave where there is no sickness and sorrow? And we've seen the answer. There is. We see that there's a life in store. But there is another question that you may be asking that might have been overlooked. And it's this. Is that place for me? Is that a place where I will truly belong? Or is God going to sort of pull the ball out in front of me before I kick it? <laughs> Sounds so awesome. Is that place truly, do I belong in that place? And maybe that's a question that you've had in this life. Have I been, have you been a person that's been overlooked? You feel like you don't belong? I think most of us have at some point. We just don't admit it. I think for me, you know, I work hard uh, most of the time. Um, but I work hard at work because sometimes I want to just be noticed and valued, which is fine. Those are okay reasons. But some days I feel like I must have my supervisor's approval. Or I'm just filled with anxiety. And I'm stuck in that place. Others of you try out different relationships to try to feel a sense of belonging. You move on and on, whether it's friendships or romantic partners. We get hooked on social, or we get hooked in our gaming communities, or we find solutions in a bottle. Because even if I can't find a belonging, right, the bottle can actually take me out of this world for a while. That was my elixir of choice about four years ago when I was going through those dark days after the intensive care unit. What we're really seeking to find is what we see happening here in this chapter 22, 1 through 5. God offers belonging, security, approval, no matter what's going on in your life. He offers belonging. He says his name will be on their foreheads. That's an offer for the future. It's, 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 it's something that was already picked up from the beginning when God covenants with his people. So this isn't just something, a change, like we have to figure out my in or out. But if you have been bound to this covenant, and that is to say if your heart has been surrendered to the king, if you've embraced Christ from the heart, this is your story unfolding. His name is on your forehead. But this is also a reference in the Old Testament to those great high priests, the only ones who were pre-approved to go into the tent of the meeting where God's presence was in limited fashion. They had to have a certain set of people until the ultimate sacrifice came and did away with the ceremonial part of the law. That's a whole lot of stuff covered in just 30 seconds. <laughs> but I, I want to say that he's, he's concerned with all of that. You go back and read that. But you need to know that if you're bound to Christ, you belong. His name is on your forehead. Because here, how I know the ceremony is gone, is there is no temple. Which means there are no barriers. The gates are left open in chapter 21. There is unlimited access to the glories of God. 
in his light in life. We have belonging. So if you're not used to someone saying you belong, get used to it. Because that's how God thinks of you. You belong. You're part of me. My name is on your forehead. Second, you have security. Our lives become sealed with the Holy Spirit, and that's what we see in the waters. These waters of life, they go out and they touch you and they encompass you. This letter, and this is important for us to know about security. You didn't know you need security, but you do. You need to know that your life is secure to be able to endure the kinds of trials that you, you have faced or will face. This letter was originally written to the seven churches in first century Palestine, all going through this intense persecution for identifying with, with Jesus. Can you imagine? It's hard to imagine in the U.S. We have other ways we're being opposed, but not really for our faith. Not in this way. Other Christians throughout the world have faced things like this. Very few in our culture, some, but fewer. And I just want to say that this was a message that John felt apt to, to give in the midst of their persecution. And they would have heard these promises, and it would have brought into their hearts this, this amount of security. They would have felt it deep into their bones that no matter what happens in this life, their life is secure under God's ultimate protection. And I think this, God doesn't look over suffering and trials and you know, people who endure these kinds of things and, and move on. But in the next, in the new heavens and new earth, just in the same way that he, all those things, all your splendor, all the ways you created, innovated, built, and worked with your hands, all the goodness that you've, you've done will go on. I think those who've suffered most, heaven, their experience of heaven will be enhanced. God plans to enhance their experience. I don't think I'll notice your experience. I'll notice my own. That's very hopeful. That's how these original Christians would have understood their lives in the midst of this suffering. We can continue on. We can keep going. God is doing something about it. He will do something about it. Ultimately, this won't be, this won't be the world. The curse will be no more. Persecution will be no more. They felt a ton of security and belonging and approval. You're approved if you're in Christ. You're accepted. Your life, as you know it, will be changed. And that's what we see in the word. They will see his face. Anyone who saw the Lord God in the Old Testament would die on the spot. Moses and Aaron had to shield their face because of the glory. Isaiah needed angels to come and cover his lips because he felt so out of place with God's holiness. But if Christ and his work on the cross is covering you, you don't have to fear. God says, come to me and I'll look straight into you and I'll see your record. And guess what? Everything that, you, that I've seen, all the unfaithfulness, all the ways in which you failed to believe the gospel will be there. And I will love you still. Because you know what I see? I see a creature whom I love. I see the record of my own son that was perfect. You belong here because you belong to him. And nothing can snatch that away from you.
this more glorious future will be life-sustaining, life-enhancing, and life-changing. The thing you need to know is that although this ultimate fulfillment of these verses comes sometime in the future beyond the grave, these promises should and can impact your lives now. First, if you're not a Christian, is this vision of the future is laid out in, in Revelation 22? Is this vision of the future something that you resonate with? And if so, what's keeping you from casting your lots with him? From considering what a, a relationship might mean. My encouragement to you, and maybe it's this that you're still uh, dealing with questions about the existence of God and whether or not you need a Savior, and I get that. I've been there. Well, I'd like, we'd like to walk alongside of you and, and try to work those through and learn from you. But I would also encourage you to consider trying this on for a size to see if this makes sense of your world. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian here, is this vision, I want this vision to kind of enhance your vision of the future. Because I think your mind is beginning to imagine a future maybe it already has. But then the question is, as you begin to take this and breathe it in, can you imagine this happening on Earth now? And if you can, why don't we make some of this happen now? I think God is in the business of rolling heaven backwards. Every bit of beauty and creation and innovation and, ima and imagination are going to continue on in the next life. Somehow God is going to bring these things into the new heaven, new earth. It's going to be like ripple effects. And he's, making, he's breaking in now through you, through the church, through people who follow him, through people who don't follow him. It's just amazing to see. We can make this happen now. An example I thought of was uh, an illustration of this is when Amelia, uh, before she her health deteriorated, that uh, there was a lady at Grace Chapel Church who, who just hung out with us, and she had um, uh, some different abilities. Her mind would haunt her, um, so she didn't always keep the conversation um, straight. Uh, but she came over. She would always bring Amelia gifts, always. Uh, she, she brought these flannel uh, butterfly uh, sheets, bring it, bring it to her pot holder. We still have these. I mean, they, these are like our favorite things we have in our house. And it's not because they're amazing. They came from a thrift store. Um, thrift stores are great. Actually, I shop there. So I'm not saying that, but I am saying these, why are these important to us? Because this saint brought a gift that no one else would know had I not told you about it. No one saw it. She is someone who's been dismissed by the standards of this society. She brings gifts. We get to do that. We get to look for those opportunities. I think this, the other thing uh, to question here is how does this help those here who are facing insurmountable sorrow? And it's hard to think about bringing bits of joy when you don't feel joy. I don't think I have a lot by way of consolation, except that I 
can say that I see you. It matters to me. Your pain matters to me. More importantly, it matters to God, whether you can see it or not. It matters so much that he gave up his son that you would never have to know sorrow in the next life. It's hard to believe that one choice in the garden long ago could have such devastating effects, but it did. And I'm sorry. And all I can say is, for me, the things that kind of happened that changed me is, is by knowing that God sees me. That he looks straight into you. Sees everything. The glory, the ruins. And he doesn't put you on the sideline. He says you're in. You're one of the stars. You're, you're, you're one of the ones I want to shine. He sees you. You belong to him. He's not embarrassed. Christ the King is your great older brother who's never ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. You belong to him. The other thing is, I started imagining myself walking forward in his life, uh, believing that these promises were true. They were a lot better idea than I had in my own head. <laughs> you, know, you start to believe your own thoughts, and you're like, ah, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> well, maybe these are true. So I started just believing these things and walking forward, and I got this vision of Amelia. And I can see her in these amazing fields of glorious flowers with long native grasses, skipping along and singing, My little buttercup has the sweetest smile. It's a song I always sang to her when she was young. And her ponytails are bouncing side to side, and guess what? She is holding Christ's hand. Just skipping along. This glory enhancing her life, making her run. She was in a wheelchair. She's got her gait back. Probably dancing circles around Juilliard's finest right now. I don't know. What is, what is heaven going to be like? We need to imagine those things. And sometimes those visions keep you going. She was almost as if this vision was saying, it's okay, Dad. Just keep going. Friends, God is with you. Just keep going. Let's keep going. For those having a hard time believing it's okay, I love you. God will show you bits of his glorious future. He'll make those, bring those to bear in your life now. But you have to look by faith to see them. Knowing that one day faith will turn to sight. And we will no longer live in shadows. Let's pray. Father. For this message, the hearts of your people, praise.